Hey listeners, just a reminder that the history of everything sex is for mature audiences, so listen with discretion. And don't forget, we're ready for suggestions, ideas, stories, whatever you want to tell us. Just email us at thehistoryofsexpod at gmail.com. Thanks! Hello. Well, hello, Terry. How are you? Hi, Melinda. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. We're back. We're back. We're we new, new year, new us. That's right. Season Only two. Season two. Season two of the hose. Yeah. Yeah. Season two. Ho- now we're well-seasoned hose. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> no newbies here, homie. No newbies. Well, welcome <laughs> to, yes, the history of everything. A Perfect. Yeah, just that a little. Was absolutely perfect. Little, I was going with like a, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> today we are discussing the crime of passion defense. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's and, cool. And the history of the first successful use of that in the United States. Okay. That's fun. Very so, so yeah. what do you think about or what comes to mind when you hear crime of passion? Crime of passion. Um eh, what there's a lot of things. Like I think right. I could think I could think of uh Amy Fisher. Mm-hmm. I, I could think of uh Lorena Bobbitt. Mm-hmm. Um Crimes of Passion. Really, like usually I, I when I hear crime of passion, I think scorned. Someone's scorned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> you know what I mean. Not not yeah. ever is it. God, I love this person so much. I gotta kill them. Right. It's I right. love them so much, and they're not mine. I gotta kill them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I always yeah. immediately just picture you're walking in on your spouse with someone else, yes. and you're like, yes, immediately just boom, it happens. You just right, right, somebody. right. Like that well, kind of crime of passion, like right. I, 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 I would guess that maybe there could be premeditated crimes of passion too. Or, <laughs> so the yeah, legal definition, you know me so well. <laughs> the legal definition <laughs> is a defendant's excuse for committing a crime due to sudden anger or heartbreak, in order to eliminate the element of premeditation. This usually arises in murder or attempted murder cases when a spouse or sweetheart finds his or her beloved having sexual intercourse with another and shoots or stabs one or both of the coupled pair, which seems like a very um, specific definition. Yeah, yeah. But it also gives you a good idea of what exactly it means. Like something happens that literally just makes you insane yeah you like snapped is a good word snapped like the show exactly so now to be clear i have to say that this is not meant to prove that someone didn't do the crime in fact it's only used when a person is admitting that they have done the crime this defense is the explanation of why the person committed the crime in essence asking to be excused for doing such a heinous crime it's like, hey, yeah, so like I did kill that dude, but once I explain why, you're totally going to say that it's okay that I did that, you know. Right, like, right, right, right. Like let me well, let me tell you why. And they would need to 
they would I would think that the defense would um, make sure that the prosecutor can't say that it was premeditated. Right. Right. Yes. They, they've yes. got to have all those bases covered and that, well, it, you know, he wouldn't have gone out and bought the duct tape. Exactly. Um, you know, a crime of passion. You mm-hmm. know. Right. Duct, exactly. Duct tape's probably not a good example. But, you know. Yeah. Because you keep that in your murder bag all the time. Yeah. 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 Right. You have that. They would <laughs> right. expect that. Of course. But if you can't slowly poison someone over months and months and months and call it a crime of passion. I agree. I agree. Okay. Now, without getting too deep into the legal stuff, because I'm certainly no lawyer, <laughs> uh, I'm a lot of things, but a lawyer is not one of them. Um, I do want to quickly explain uh, the different charges when someone does kill another person. So there's three types of murder charges, according to U.S. law, which, of course, is adopted from British laws. Uh, there's justifiable, excusable and criminal. So the first justifiable homicide is a killing that has been ordered to be done by the government, either in war or as in like an execution. Or it's also killing done to prevent a felony. Like if a person's life is being threatened and the police shoot the bad guy, then those are all justifiable. So you kill somebody in war, you're not going to be tried for murder because it was justifiable. Excusable homicide is when a person kills another either completely by accident or to save his or her own life so if somebody breaks in your house and they have a weapon and you shoot that person to death then that would probably be excusable you know you're got to save your own life right 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 now criminal homicide which is the third um, subject uh, is any killing that doesn't exactly qualify as justified or excusable and criminal homicide is divided into two categories there's murder which is killing with intent and malice and can be punished by death and then there's manslaughter which is a killing without intent or malice and manslaughter cannot be punished by death okay so right so no capital uh, punishment Unless it was like premeditated and it was done maliciously. So in other words, if you plan out a killing, it's murder. If you do it without really thinking it through, like either out of rage or through some reckless behavior, then that would be manslaughter. So the person who's drinking and driving and ends up killing someone, that would be manslaughter because you were, you know, you were breaking the law. You were doing something reckless that killed someone but you weren't, you didn't set out to kill a person. Right, right, right. right. Your so, intention wasn't to do that. That's exactly. The, but your, but it, your actions did cause that. Right, exactly. Okay. Now, now this, you kind of brought this up a little bit earlier, and this is the confusion to me. So the example that I thought of is, okay, so if you learned that someone hurt your child, like an adult hurt your child, you would be enraged, Right. But then if you spend like a whole week, like, you know, angry and boiling and planning like how you can get back at this person, and then you carry out that plan and ultimately killing the person, then, you know, is that premeditated murder or is it manslaughter? 
And, you know, a lot of times that's kind of that's what a jury has to decide. Like, what is the time frame between something happening and the killing? And, you know, what can happen in the meantime that makes it premeditated or not? And so it it can. People respond to trauma or bad news or emergencies or any of those types of things so Mm -hmm. differently. Someone might open the door, see what's going on, Mm -hmm. shut the door, and then go to the parents for the weekend and think, you know what I mean? Yeah. On what, because that's how they process that at that time. But if they were building up and building up and building up just the anger, then they come home and the, the spouse is now washing the dishes and they just, they just go up and shoot them or something. Right. When, when can my crime of, when can, when is my passion valid? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And I'm not, I'm not exactly what you're saying. I'm not taking (laughs) notes. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. And and this explanation obviously is very just uh, just this is a very simplified explanation of the whole murder thing, you know. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to pretend like I know more than I do. This is just what I found on the Google. So, <clears throat> when we say crime of passion, we're talking about a legal strategy that can be used by a defense attorney to sway the jury toward a verdict of manslaughter instead of murder. And there's a quote from J.L. Austin, and I don't know who J.L. Austin is, but he says this. Um, He asks, is the provoker, and the provoker is the victim, so is the provoker partly responsible because he roused a violent impulse or passion in me so that it wasn't truly or merely me acting of my own accord? Or is it rather that he... Having done me such injury, I was entitled to retaliate. So that's kind of a, you know, a nice little quote that kind of sums it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also like the epitome of victim blaming. I mean, not necessarily wrongly so, like, but but really it depends on the case because basically it's saying that a person deserved to be killed. Or right, it's because like, you just called the the perpetrator a victim. Exactly. When you don't normally, you normally wouldn't say that because it's usually the other way around. But it's just like, that's, that's, that's crazy when you think about it. (laughs) Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, or it's like, hey, you fucked up so badly that anybody in my shoes would have killed you too. You know? And I think we've all used the phrase, oh, well, I don't blame him. You know, usually not when we're talking about murder, but necessarily. But there's always things where you're like, I can empathize. Like if I was that, I would have done the same thing. Right. Even if it's not necessarily the right thing to do. The the people that um, catch someone harming their child. Right. 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 It's just like. What jury is going to be like. Right. Not a person is going to. You know what I mean? Exactly. Is going to blame them for, for doing that. For whatever they do to right, me. Right. Yeah. So to recap, if you kill someone because the government told you to or to prevent a felony, then that's justifiable homicide. If you kill someone on accident or in self-defense, then that's excusable. And any other killing falls under the criminal category. And then the question becomes, was the murderer acting maliciously Or did he or she have a good reason or excuse to kill? And this all decides how much, if any, punishment the killer deserves. So now we're ready to talk about the first case in the U.S. 
where the crime of passion defense was successfully used. And that's the case of Daniel Sickles. So you ready to hear this little story? Bring on Danny Sickles. Okay. So Daniel Edgar Sickles was born October 20th, 1819 to Mm. Susan Marsh Sickles and George Garrett Sickles. As a youngster, Dan was sent to live in Manhattan with Lorenzo DuPont, who was a poet and a priest who had collaborated with Mozart at one point. DuPont was also a professor and a known manslut who was, yes, who was found to be living in a brothel at one point, despite his vow of celibacy, because he's a priest. So that's a good person to just send your kid to go live with. But yeah, yes, surely he can. You're youngster. (laughs) You're youngster. But anyway, Dan was to be educated by Father DuPont. And I'm not sure how much academic education he got, but he did end up in a scandalous affair with his teacher's daughter, which priest, celibate daughter. uh, Right. Yeah. Um, Not adding up. (laughs) Right. So he had an affair with his teacher's daughter, Maria Cook Bagioli, who was married at the time. Mm hmm. Um, so eventually Dan attended the University of the City of New York, followed by law school, and he became a lawyer in 1846, hmm. which is probably a good thing because he's going to have to keep himself out of trouble somehow. Yeah, yeah. In, in 1847, he was elected to the New York State Assembly. On September 27th, 1852, Dan, age 32, married his pregnant 15 or 16-year-old girlfriend, uh, Teresa Bagioli. Okay. The daughter of his former lover, Maria. Okay. So, you know, he was banging mom, but she's married. So we'll just just go with the daughter. Her daughter will be fine. Well, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Dan ascended through the ranks and he was the Corporation Council of New York City, where he acquired the land for Central Park. He served as the U.S. Secretary of Legation to London for two years, during which time he, Teresa, and their daughter, Laura, lived in England. And where Teresa became quite popular with the people of London, both for her beauty and her fun, energetic personality. So she was she was good time, Teresa, man. Yeah, yeah. So Dan served two years on the New York State Senate. Then he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1857. So, I mean, this guy, you know, he really moved up. So mm-hmm. at this point, Dan, Teresa, and Laura lived in Washington, D.C., very close to the White House and across the street from Jackson Square, which is kind of sort of important later, kind of in a small degree. Now, while Dan's career seemed admirable, he was still known to be quite a womanizer and a troublemaker. In fact, he was once reprimanded for taking a well-known New York madam slash prostitute with him on a trip to London, and he introduced her to Queen Victoria under a fake name. Um, yeah. yeah, so he he did travel a lot. He was generally a very busy man. Now, in March of 1857, Dan became friends with a man named Philip Barton Key II who was the son of Francis Scott Key, who wrote The Star-Spangled Banner. 
Okay. So after a night of playing whist, which is a card game kind of like spades, I had to kind of look it up because I don't okay. know. It's an older game, but it's kind of it's very similar to playing spades. Okay. Um, Dan and Phil, both arrogant yet very charismatic womanizers, became best buddies. So Philip was a young widower and the district attorney of Washington at the time. So they're pretty powerful guys. Since Dan was often working or traveling or likely in the company of other women, Mm -hmm. uh, beautiful Teresa needed an escort to all the swanky social engagements around the Capitol. And Philip was more than happy to fill the position. Mm-hmm. At first, others understood that this was an expected thing because no respectable lady would be out alone. But eventually, it became widely accepted that there was more to Philip and Teresa's friendship. And apparently, everybody except for Dan was in on the secret. Mm. That's never good. No, but then that all changed one night. So Dan and Teresa were entertaining dinner guests on the night of Thursday, February 24th, 1859. Later, the group was going to head to the Willard Hotel to continue the party. But just before setting out, Dan was given an envelope from someone anonymous. He stuffed it in his pocket and he didn't give it another thought until he returned home late that night. When he finally did read it, it very bluntly made him aware of his wife's affair with Philip. Mm. At first, Dan absolutely did not believe this. So he did go ahead and he hired a guy to snoop around some. And at first, the neighbors said that a woman had gone into Key's house on Thursday. And so immediately Dan was like, Couldn't be my woman because I know where my wife was. I was with her all day Thursday. Mm -hmm. But then on Saturday, the guy got back to him and said, oops, actually, we meant Wednesday. Mm. This is what she was wearing. This is what she looked like. And he knew immediately. So it was late Saturday when he was finally convinced of his wife's infidelity. So despite his own affairs, Dan was devastated when he learned that Teresa had been stepping out on him. He cried and he carried on for a while before he had his wife sit down in front of a witness and write down a full confession, including every detail of her and Philip's liaisons. According to Teresa's confession, Teresa and Philip started having sex around April or May of 1858 She or Philip would take little Laura to Mrs. Hoover, who apparently was a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Um, They had slept together once in the Sickles' house, but since then they'd been meeting up at an empty house a few blocks away in a neighborhood of mostly African-Americans. Quote, there was a bed in the second story. I did what is usual for a wicked woman to do. Mm. So mm-hmm. she said that they would arrange to meet a few days ahead of time when they ran into each other in the street or at a social gathering. She also says that she and Philip had met up several times, including the Monday and Wednesday of that very week. So Dan learned that Philip would sometimes hang a handkerchief outside his door to signal her to meet or Uh, Philip would walk through Jackson Square, which is like a park across from the house, 
waving said handkerchief to get her attention so she would know that he wanted her to come to his house and meet up with him. So his wife, his friend, you know, Dan is just, Mm -hmm. he's just devastated. So he's a mess. So he was in pure agony. He did not sleep at all that Saturday night. He called for his friend, Mr. Butterworth. I wish I knew his first name, but that's all I got. (laughs) So he called the... Mr. Butterworth, the uh, syrup connoisseur. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, obviously. So Mr. Butterworth came over, and then Dan had Mr. Butterworth take his wife, Teresa, to her parents' house in New York. Couldn't even look at her anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just sat in his bedroom, just inconsolable, when all of a sudden his servant said, well, there goes Mr. Key. Dan looked Ooh. up. And through his window, he could see Philip passing his house through Jackson Square, waving that damn handkerchief. Mm. Yeah. Now, Mr. Butterworth and Dan's other friend, Mr. Woolridge, had been at Dan's house that morning. They had been downstairs and they knew that Philip was in the neighborhood, but they agreed not to tell Dan because mm-hmm. they didn't want him to, you know, why why add fuel to the fire? Right, right. <clears throat> but when Dan saw Philip, he ran right down the steps and right out the door. And Mr. Butterworth, who had just left the sickles, saw him and started to run after him, but it was too late. Mm. So Dan ran at Philip. And at first, Philip reached his hand out like they were about to shake hands, like, hello, sir, you know. Right, right, right. Fancy meeting you here, friend. Yeah. Um, but then Dan yelled, Key, you scoundrel, you have dishonored my home. You must die. And he shot mm. Philip right in the junk. Ooh. Bullet to the peeny. Just right then Bullet and there. Bullet to the just peen. Just on, on. Yeah. On. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Then he chased Philip up the street and he shot him again. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, then, Philip is still running. Apparently. Whew. He's running for his life, you know, yeah. so I'm sure the yeah. adrenaline took over. Yeah. Yeah. And then Philip, laying on the street bleeding, yelled, don't shoot. But Dan fired a third shot, which landed close to the second shot in Philip's chest. Hmm. He did fire the gun a few more. I'm sorry. He did pull the trigger a few more times, but the gun was empty. Okay. So witnesses swooped in and they carried Philip down the street to the clubhouse across the park from the Sickles' house where Philip died. Dan and Butterworth went directly to the attorney general's office where Dan turned himself in and then mm-hmm. he was taken to jail. Okay. So this all occurred on Sunday, February 27th, 1859. All right. So. Pretty quickly, a grand jury indicted Dan, and the actual trial started on Monday, April the 4th. Now, amazingly, I found the entire court transcript published in a special report by Robert DeWitt around November of 1860. And personally, I thought it was absolutely fascinating, but I will just summarize and share the most important parts for our listeners today because it was very, 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 very long. Mm -hmm. So we'll just talk about what, you know what we need for our episode today. Okay. So after three days of jury selection, 12 white men, a jury of your peers, 
Mm -hmm. um, each with a value of at least $800, because apparently you had to be, you had to have at least $800 in assets in order to be considered a man who could sit on a jury. Mm -hmm. um, they were chosen to be on the jury. The district attorney, Robert Old, spoke first. He outlined what had happened the day of the shooting and what led up to it. Among other things, Rob stated that the fact that this murder took place on a Sunday, on the Sabbath day, was just mm. inexcusable. People should be in church and praying and being peaceful. And he also mentioned how odd it was that the killer wore an overcoat conveniently on an unseasonably warm day, which just happened to perfectly hold the murder weapon. Mm -hmm. He pointed out that Dan had plenty of time to cool off and come to his senses between the time that he ran out of the house and shot Philip the first time until he ultimately stood over an injured, bleeding man and shot the final shot. Mm. Dan, he argued, acted as judge, jury, and executioner, and yet, ironically, was now getting his day in court and his chance to tell his side of the story and defend himself. Mm. The DA said that revenge does not justify murder. Right. That's right. one side of the story. That is. Mm -hmm. So after two days of the DA talking and calling witnesses and then blah, 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 then it was the defense's turn to speak. Sickles' lawyer, John Graham, was a talker. Boy, he was a talker. Mm -hmm. His opening statement went on for an entire day and a half. Uh, and he's really good. Like he he's a really good talker. So we know, of course, that he was arguing that Dan's crime was a crime of passion. Mm -hmm. So here are some of his points that he made to the jury. So first of all, Philip Key was a horrible person. He was a calculating man out to steal the wives and corrupt the daughters of all good men. Mm. He said, which one of you jurors would have next lost your your wife to to Mr. Key, you know, right, right. Obviously, you got to make it about them so that they know what's at stake here. Um, Philip was not a murderer. A murderer is some evil criminal who spends his time imagining and planning his killings. He attacks in the dark of night, not in broad daylight. No, Dan Sickles. He should be hailed as a defender of the marriage bed. Mm. And let's just go back to this whole Sabbath day thing. What kind of monster goes out on the day of our Lord with the express intention of summoning a married woman to his place to, to commit all kinds of sins? I mean, seriously, this guy. Right. Sheesh. Sheesh. So, so he, here are a few particular quotes that really illustrate this whole crime of passion argument from Dan's lawyer. Okay. So first of all, he says he and he means the other lawyer. OK, mm -hmm. he would show that passion that could not be controlled did not place a man within the pale of accountability <laughs> to the criminal law. But the great question is, what was the state of the defendant's mind at the time that he slew the man who had contaminated the purity of his wife? What was the mental condition of the defendant at the time that he took the life of the deceased? Mm -hmm. There you go. Also, he said, there are certain relations to which the greatest responsibilities and which it invests with commensurate powers. I don't know what all that means, but anyway, mm -hmm. 
These are the relations of parent and child, husband and wife, the most hallowed and cherished. The connection between parent and child and husband and wife is founded on divine law and she, the wife, being the weaker vessel, oh, it God. is yeah, it is his duty and right to defend her. It is his duty to protect her against frailty as much as against the violence of the robber. Yeah, I know. It's one of those. Right, right, right. Not a very feminist view of things. But <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Okay, so then there's this last quote that I want to say. We mean to say not that Mr. Sickles labored under insanity in consequence of an establishmental permanent disease, but that the condition of his mind at the time of the commission of the act in question was such as would render him legally unaccountable, as much so as if the state of his mind had been produced by a mental disease. It is no matter how a man becomes insane. Is he insane? That is the question. Whether it results from disease of mind or body or sudden provocation. It is perfectly immaterial. And the privileges of accountability attach as much in one case as in the other. Now, it is important to note that in Dan's case, he was being tried for murder. Now, sometimes people are tried, but the jury is given the option to say whether they're guilty of murder or manslaughter. You know, they'll be like, you know, we're not saying guilty or not guilty. Right, we're right. saying, is is this whoever person guilty of murder or are they guilty of manslaughter or is it second degree murder? And they kind of give the jury like an option. But yeah, other times, yeah. if you are just trying them for murder, then it's either you are guilty of murder or you're not guilty of murder. So okay. if the jury finds that it's maybe he's guilty of manslaughter, that's not murder. Right. 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 OK. So after a three week trial on Tuesday, April 26th, the jury deliberated for 70 minutes. When they returned, the judge asked, how say you? Do you find the prisoner at the bar guilty or not guilty? And the jury foreman replied, not guilty. And Dan walked out of the courtroom while the audience cheered for him, you know, because he had defended the frailty of his right, purity, right, right. of his wife, of his lesser vessel, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Now, just to give you all some closure here, because I found it kind of interesting, I will quickly bullet point what happened after the trial to Dan. Okay. So first of all, three months later, on July 19th, Dan announced through a newspaper <clears throat> that he and Teresa had reconciled and he asked people to leave her alone, which a lot of people were not happy with him for that because, you know, they were like, oh, you're the one who did everything right. Your wife's a cheating whore. We're on your side, not hers. And now he's like, oh, we're, we're back together. So be nice. Right, right, right. Then when the Civil War started, Dan decided that becoming a war hero would win back the heart of all the people. So mm -hmm. he used his connections in the government to be appointed brigadier general of volunteers in September of 1861. He made lots of political enemies because he was such an asshole. 
Mm-hmm. In March of 1862, the U.S. Congress basically fired him from his army command, but he called in more favors from his buddies, and he was reassigned to the position two months later. On July 2nd, 1863, Major General George Meade told Sickles to take his men to Cemetery Ridge, but Dan felt that he knew better, even though he had no military academy education, And he took his crew to the peach orchard. These are, you know, obviously two different spots, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) it totally cost them the whole battle. And Dan's uh, Dan himself lost his right leg. It was so mangled by a cannonball that he was hit with that he had to have it amputated. So he he effed it up for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um. But, you know, to to make things at least a little bit on the right side, uh, Dan sent his amputated leg in a coffin-shaped box to the Army Medical Museum, uh, where he himself often visited his leg. Okay. So All he right. could look at it. <laughs> so he was the military governor of the Carolinas from 1865 to 1867, but mm-hmm. was fired by President Andrew Johnson because he was terrible at being a governor. Um, later Dan sent many anonymous, obviously later they found out it was him, but he sent many anonymous editorial letters to various newspapers explaining why Daniel Sickles was the real hero of the civil war. Um, he was the U S minister to Spain. I think they just wanted to get him out of this fucking country. Right. Uh, where he sounds like. Yeah, where he allegedly had an affair with the Queen of Spain. Um, He was chairman of the New York State Monument Commission, where conveniently $28,000 went missing. And all evidence points to Sickles as the embezzler. When he was asked by a newspaper why he never erected a statue dedicated to himself, old humble Dan, he said... The entire Gettysburg battlefield was his monument. I mean, obviously. Uh, yeah. I have so, thoughts. Yeah, that's my story. <laughs> now, I have, so that's really the entire story. I do have one quick fun fact. Uh-huh. So um, when I was trying to kind of get a good definition for the crime of passion, mm-hmm. um, I learned that the crime of passion defense is sometimes called the Texas law. Because juries in Texas are notorious for being sympathetic to people who kill someone who hurt or wronged a loved one. Okay. So you definitely don't want to be on the wrong side. Don't want to do that in Texas. Exactly. That's what we're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if if you do kill someone in a crime of passion, I hope it's in Texas because then you will probably not spend a day in jail. Right, right. I see what you're saying. So what do you think about that crime of passion? Here's the thing. I don't agree with that particular case of crime of passion. Really? No, I don't. I I'm feel like by that. and this is why. Um first of all, he's a hypocrite. Well, absolutely. Okay, so there's that part, but you gotta leave your I guess your your those types of views out of it. Okay. Um, no, I don't. No. <laughs> Guess what? I'm not a juror. You can do anything you want. I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> um I feel like he he was okay. 
he had suspicions and heard rumors, so he hired a private investigator. Right. Okay. He he was proven right. Yep. By his findings. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's not something you just walked in on. True. So it's like, yeah, be as fist as you want. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you need to do, I guess, through law. Right. Um, so that maybe, you know, this woman that's cheating on just, you know, your wife that's cheating on you, um, even though you do the same, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone did the work for you. <laughs> you found out. You confronted her. Mm-hmm. And she agreed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you were triggered by this person who you are pissed at. Right. And I don't feel like that's the same thing. You were triggered because you saw like there was not that there was a resolution, mm-hmm. but to me, it's not the same as someone walking in on something. Mm-hmm. And. um, And knee jerk reacting. I'm right. not saying I and I'm not saying that I think that's right either. Right. Because I'm sure things happen where a couple is split up. Yeah. And someone tries to call it crime of passion and the, the whoever breaks into the house and you know what I mean? And I and found my wife, but I found my wife. To say I haven't lived there in six months. I haven't months. lived there. In, right. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I, she's got a restraining order against me, but still, you know what I mean? Or he, right. you know what I mean? It, it could sure. be the other way around. So yeah. it's more the idea that um, that's. Did you ever see Boogie Nights? I think we've talked about this. How many yeah, times we, have I brought up Boogie Nights? Quite a few, and I wasn't expecting Nights, it this time. But Yes. Okay. Here's the thing. There okay. is uh, <laughs> William H. Macy mm-hmm. plays a, he, uh, I don't know if he's, I don't think he's a director. I think he's like a producer or he's like about the behind this, a behind the scenes person in some way. Maybe he writes the scripts. I don't know. Whatever he does sure. for these porn movies. Okay. Well, his wife is an actress uh-huh. and he is constantly having to watch his wife with other people. Gotcha. And like, even at parties, not just in videos, like she's probably, you know, does these tricks and she's known for this. So these people come to these parties and he'll walk in on him and his wife having, mm-hmm. or other people having sex with his wife. And he just feels like a, whether it's a cuck or whatever the, mm-hmm. the, the term is for, for something like that. And he gets to the point and it's on and it's on new year's Eve. Um, and you know, they're doing the countdown. He, he's looking for his wife. He finds his wife having sex with someone very calmly walks, finds a gun, walks over back to the room, opens the door, shoots both him and his, or his wife and the guy she's with. Oh shit. Okay. To me, that's a crime of passion. Right. Now, you know that, you know what I mean? That, that, that at that moment you yep. flipped, you flipped. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So right. to me, that's not the same as, as this kind of, I don't necessarily think that I would agree that. And now you're going to get back together with this person that the right. this person that caused you to commit murder, you ended someone's life. Right. Because you're, well, you know, I, I've, whether it's, whether it's right or wrong, mm-hmm. and I, it may also have to do with the fact that this was, um, you know, 150 years, 160 right, right, years right, ago. Right. Yeah. But it was like, he felt wronged by the other man. He, I don't think that for one hot second he thought, 
oh, how could my wife do this to me? He thought, I can't believe that my friend would, you know, um, would take my wife and do this, you know, and do this to me and blah, blah, blah. His wife was Mm -hmm. just, you know, the, the, what he owned. That was just the possession. And then it was the fact that somebody seduced her and took her. And I will tell you, like I said, his lawyer was so good at talking. Uh-huh. So if his if if roles had been reversed as far as like if the other lawyer had been as good of a lawyer and talker as his, it might uh-huh. have gone the other way. So it, maybe yeah. it wasn't even so much what happened as how it's framed. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. before you said that, I was sitting here like, oh, yeah, I totally would have found him not guilty because. He had been up all night. He hadn't had yeah. a wink of sleep. Yeah. He was his his wife and daughter were just taken away so that he could get himself together. And now his whole life is destroyed because this adulterer, this man, you know, yeah. and then here he's got the audacity to walk by flinging his little handkerchief right, right, trying right, to right. summon my wife again. I, I could totally be like that is what like triggered that. Yeah, I see. I I see. I see what that. I I see that part of it a, l- a little bit. I yeah. think, ha- but now, what <laughs> I will say is, had he, because this is something he knew about. He had time to sit on it for a minute, anyways. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, to I some mean, degree, but it's like degree, I guess he didn't know about it for that. Right. It was really Saturday that he truly got the confirmation that, yes, it really was his wife. Yeah. Up until then, he kept saying, you know, I'm going to need more information. Mm-hmm. It couldn't have been her. She would never do that. And, and I you guess know. it takes, you know, looking back on how long ago this was and, well, and yeah. you know, the, the fact that a higher power joined these two people in holy matrimony and all that that kind of jazz mm-hmm. um even though she was 15 and pregnant and he was 32 and- yeah yeah let's forget about all that stuff <laughs> right but it's yeah. just the point that um i feel differently about the what if someone were to do that and it was their child that was being you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think they're the bond that bond is so much greater yeah than- well maybe he thought of her as his daughter since she was <laughs> 17 years younger than him god damn i'm sorry (laughs) i know isn't that disgusting yeah Yeah. but yeah well he he turned out to be such a douche anyway and right 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 he was gonna get away with murder obviously Uh you know that's what he yeah he lived his whole life that way so right and just like the the like the the Amy Fisher, mm-hmm. you know, going and shooting, um, b- uh, you know, Mrs. Butterfuco. I can't remember mm. what her first name is. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like that she would be able to get a crime of passion, um, thing for that. It's because you, you're, you can't you're call taking it that taking too long planning it. Yeah, you've planned this. You, 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 you decided to go this day to that exactly Bobbit, yeah 100 i could call that a crime of passion you know you've you're not only um 
degrading me as a woman, you're assaulting me or abusing yeah. me or or whatever. And I feel like I'm, you know, that to me is different. Yeah. And but. I definitely think we'll have some future episodes of more crimes of passion. Yeah. You know, yeah. where we can lay it all out. Like this is what happened. And then this is what the jury heard. And then this was the outcome. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You know, like, was it really a crime of passion or? Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for that. That's absolutely definitely. Um, that's a it's a it's an interesting topic. It's not mm-hmm. something that I would have thought of. So. See, they say people only murder for three reasons: money, money, love, love, and power. Power. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So this was well, kind of love and power. Uh, I think. <laughs> I think another reason would be survival. Yeah, I guess yeah. if you had to kill somebody. Well, then that's but, not okay, murder. That's not murder. You're right. That's justifiable <laughs> or excusable. Homicide. Right. Yes. <laughs> See? You, you learned something, didn't uh-huh. you? But I you won't tell listen. you. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I murdered that son of a bitch. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> I'm calling it. I'm calling it murder. Yeah. All right. That was well, justifiable. I murdered that piece okay. of shit. I justify you all day. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I excuse you all day. I don't blame you. <laughs> all right. Well, that was all a long right. one. That was a long Next one. Next time we'll good. do something Very... a little more fun. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. All right. Well, all y'all right. have a good week and we will talk to you later. Later on. Bye. Bye.